Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the first episode of the Spider Scoop, the most tremendous Richmond basketball podcast on the web. I'm your host, Noah Goldberg with ESPN Richmond, and I'm joined by a struggling Charlotte Hornets fan, but more importantly, he writes for A10 Talk. That's Austin Daisy. Him and I are joined today by Wayne Epps Jr. He's a VCU Athletics beat writer for the Richmond Times-Dispatch. Comes on the show today to help us preview VCU versus Richmond at the Siegel Center this Tuesday, and that's going to be in the second half of the pod. And Austin and I will recap uh, Richmond's loss to Dayton last night in the first half. So make sure you stay tuned for both of those. Uh, we're really excited to get this started off and looking forward to making this a weekly thing uh, going forward. All right, Austin, it's Sunday morning, about 1.30 in the afternoon. We're fresh off an eight-point loss against, you know, the number seven team in the country. Uh, you know, what do you think? Let's let's just start, you know, running through the game real quick. Uh, you know, I think Richmond got off to a really cold start there, one of seven from the field. Uh, you know, Dayton opens up, uh, you know, what are they, 11-2 to run, and, you know, they really struggled out of the gates on both halves. Yeah, that, unfortunately, both halves, first and second, their starts – Kind of told the te- told the tale in this one, like you said, um, one of seven to start, and then Dayton hit two quick threes with top end of Mike Sell, and um, which you know people were expecting. Everybody's worried about Obi Toppin down low, led the two quick threes for Dayton, and obviously starting one of seven from the field isn't going to help your chances against the number seven team in the country, especially a team as athletic as Dayton. So. Um, yeah, and I think that their supporting cast was a big part of it too in the beginning because you know Toppin only played in the first in the first twelve minutes. He only played about four minutes. He actually got to rest a lot, but I really felt like even when they creep back into it, you know, kind of midway in the half, uh, they cut it to like eleven five and they're going back and forth. But it really just felt even when they have a success and you know Gillard was going off, it felt somewhat unsustainable. I mean, they still started you know four of twelve from the field, but during that stretch, Gilliard was five of six from the field. So you know he was really care or later in the half he was five of six from the field. Um, you know, he was really carrying them. Um, you know, Richmond didn't get a single point off the bench until Wojcik hit a buzzer beater at the, at the end of the half. Um, and I think that really, between Gilliard and Dayton, you know, they got six fouls in the first six minutes. Um, so they were saying Richmond to the free throw line a lot. Um, it really felt like even when they were competing that it wasn't going to be sustainable. It felt like they needed to get some guy off the bench. They needed a Wojcik. They needed a Goose to get going. Grant wasn't playing well. It really felt like they were just pretty one-dimensional there for a stretch. Yeah, for sure. It in a game as big as this one against a superior team, I think Dayton's a legitimate Final Four contender. They they can play. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it almost felt like sitting there watching, I was waiting for that run to just bury Richmond. But I'll give them credit. They they hung around in the first half. I think the lead grew to, what, maybe as big as 10. Mm-hmm. And then Wojcik hit the buzzer beater to cut it to 8. So if you'd have told me it would be an 8-point game at halftime, I would have been pretty happy going into it. Mm-hmm. But like you said, with the role guys not really producing much off the bench, it has you wondering like how this game could have went differently if you had guys like Gusison maybe providing just eight points like he normally does around mm-hmm. that area. And if Golden could have had a little bit of a better game down low. So a lot of what-ifs, but all in all, this is a game that it won't hurt Richmond in the long run. It, it gave them some experience against a top team in the nation and looking forward to Tuesday night. 
Yeah, yeah. I think in that first half, you know, it, it definitely carried into the second half, but especially as obviously, you know, we talked a little bit about Andre really struggled. He had that one play where he kind of just went up and he got the ball. I don't know, they hit the ball, it stayed in his hands, but he lost it and just kind of chucked it out of bounds. Um, I think that, you know, Tyler on his first, the first, I mean, the first shot Tyler took after I saw that, he had a really strong drive to the basket right, yeah. um, and he got a really good look at it. It was a pretty clean look, and he just didn't, you know, couldn't hit it. And I looked at that, and I thought, you know, that's a tough miss, but that's a great look for him, a good attack. And it was early in the game, so I'm thinking, all right, he's clearly confident, like, he's going to carry over. You know, he's had career games against George Mason, a career game against LaSalle. Really felt like he was going to take off. And he certainly had the minutes to do it, you know, 17, but he only finished one of five from the field. He struggled to finish around the rim. You know, I just talked about Andre had that miss. Um, Grant was pretty atrocious in that first half. He was struggling. Really felt like they couldn't get anything around the rim in the first half or really throughout the game. Yeah, to speak on Burton, um, the past two games, like you said, have been career games offensively for him. Um, I'll credit this one with some jitters. This is mm-hmm. probably definitely the Robin Center last night was when that place was loud. It was electric. He probably never played in front of a crowd like that before. So I mean, as a freshman, that's got that's no easy task going up against Dayton and one of the top players in the nation. Mm-hmm. So hopefully he can bounce back on Tuesday night at VCU. Um, but yeah, Gustafson, offensively, he seemed to struggle. But he, he was seemingly all over the place in the first half mm-hmm. in a good way for Richmond. He was causing some havoc for um, the Dayton offense, kind of had them late in the shot clock. They were throwing up some shots. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were taking maybe 28 seconds of possession, and they were kind of rushing. So defensively, Goose seemed to make up for it. And we kind of talked about that pass. He had a KO that you yeah. really liked. He had a good tweet about it. You compared him to uh, – Steve Nash. Andre Nash Gustafson. Yeah, that, that was pretty accurate. That was a fantastic play and really had the crowd energized. Yeah, a little Steve Nash, Jason uh, Jason Williams-esque right there, definitely. I think that, like you said, he de- he made up for it defensively, and, you know, you can't knock him for having a bad game because, like you said, he did play well defensively. And I think that a lot of his defensive plays, not only was it consistently good throughout the game, but I think he had some timely uh, defense. Like there was one where I think Toppin had blocked Grant, but then – Going down the court, Goose steals it from Crutcher, you know, gets up the court. Um, there, He got one up to Sherrod for a three. Like you said, we had that one in transition with a beautiful pass to Nate. Um, but I, I think the tough thing is, while you can't blame him because he played great defense, I think one of the biggest stories of this the three-game win streak they had leading up to this game was that you were getting a lot from the bench, and particularly Andre. Until the LaSalle game, I, he had scored eight points in three straight games, and he was really efficient most of the games. He was like three or five from the field four or five from the field. Um, and it's really felt like one of those things where, especially without Blake in this lineup, if, you know, Gilliard, one of Gilliard, Grant, and Nate are in Sherrod, one of, like, two to three of those guys are guaranteed to play well. Two are probably going to have a great game. Three are probably going to play okay. And then there's usually a chance that one of them has an off night. And I think especially without Blake, you know, that's a really big issue. And I think that the bench guys like the Gustafsons, the Wojcik's, and the, especially Tyler Burton have done a great job lately of stepping up. And not only, you know, we've seen the role guys have been really important, like Matt Grace and Tyler Burton have been crucial rebounding. And Gustafsson's been crucial defensively. And even Wojcik's played good defense, but still none of those guys were giving you a lot of points. And we've seen, you know, they had 31 bench points against LaSalle, 18 against George Mason, and then they only had seven last night. So I think that... For them to win this game, you know, I kind of talked about it with Andrew uh, in the pregame show, but it really felt like some combination of Gustafson, Wojcik, or or Burton had to give you, you know, obviously great defensive minutes, but at least, you know, if you can just get eight, nine points from a couple of those yeah. guys, really felt like that could have been a key for them. Yeah, no, I agree. 
um, especially Tyler Burton. Tyler Burton was somebody who I had really high expectations for him tonight. But like I said earlier, it was a big spotlight for him. He as a freshman, that's tough. But um, yeah, Wojcik, if he could have, Wojcik played what? He had played twenty minutes, mm-hmm. only had five points. But if he could have had another game, like he did down at Alabama, where he scored what twenty two, twenty one. Mm. Fantastic game, just shooting the ball well. If we could have one of those guys kind of somewhat fill the gap and yeah. sc- score, like you said, around 8 to 10, it would have been a different – this game could have been different. And But it's good to sit here and talk about these things that we're talking about how Richmond could have beat the number seven team in the country mm. if they would have played better. Yeah. So, I mean, there's – I mean, yeah, they lost. They lost by eight points, missing their leading scorer. You know, one of their their top three players, Grant Golden, had his worst game of the year. You got almost no bench production offensively, and you still only lose by eight. So, you know, it only takes one little thing to go right, and you know they probably win that game. So, I think there's definitely, you know, definitely a positive. Um, but you know, like you like you said, I think kind of touching on Wojcik is that Wojcik he only had five points, but he didn't play bad offensively. You know, he was two of three from the field. He had a pretty crucial three-pointer late in the game he had a couple of rebounds I thought he played pretty good defense there was one play where uh, I, I think he fouled Landers driving I just looked and I was like I mean that's great defense he just stayed square with him on the whole time and Landers just played better offense um, but I mean if you, if you go down looking at the bench they were three of ten from the field if you include Gustafson who's a starter but you kind of think of him more as a role guy offensively oh of two from the field so not only are they missing shots they're not taking a lot of shots and in a game where it's again you know when you don't have Blake Francis you know that, especially when you have Obi Toppin in the interior, some combination of Nate and Grant, one of those two guys probably is going to struggle offensively. And in this one, it was Grant. Actually, Nate played pretty well, but Grant really struggled. You really need one of those guys not only to step up, but to have the confidence to take more shots. I think that's been the biggest thing, particularly with Gustafson, is that we've heard Mooney talk a lot in the press conferences. And, you know, we saw flashes last year of his ability to score because I think athletically, he's one of the most athletic guys on the team. Like, when he goes up to the rim, like, he, he's he's potentially, like, he can put a poster on somebody. He can get to the rim. He's strong. But I think it's kind of between the ears with him. And it, it almost felt like he took a step back last night. Like, we talked earlier in the first half, he looked kind of shaky. He, you know, even the few inbounds where it's uncontested, he's just not catching the ball. Um, I, I think it's a confidence thing, and you have to be able to, in a big game like that, you know, you got to play it. you got to act like you've been there before, have the confidence to go take those shots. Yeah, for sure. Um, hopefully... Last night was the first game since Francis has been out where I've kind of felt like, man, what mm-hmm. what if he was playing tonight? Yeah. Would we would we have been on the winning side of this thing? Mm-hmm. It's easy to see, easy to say. Um, it would be interesting to see if we get a chance to play Dayton again in the tournament with mm-hmm. Blake Francis, assuming recovery goes well. Um, but no, hung with one of the top teams in the nation, like you said, despite not shooting well. So mm-hmm. as a whole, Richmond fans – shouldn't hang their heads on this one um focus on vcu on tuesday night and hopefully the crowd last night will have them a little bit more prepared for what's expected to be a rowdy sequel center on tuesday yeah definitely uh, excited for that environment too you know especially last night against dayton that's easily the loudest we've heard uh, the robin center all year um I, I think one other takeaway that i had from that game is that like like you said it really felt like one of those games where they do a couple things differently like it was right there for the taking and you know, one thing I really saw is it really felt like they didn't play to their strengths particularly well in this game. You know, obviously Obi Toppin is such a force down low. The last thing you want is to just hammer Grant Golden against him defensively. Like, he just can't match up with Obi's athleticism. Um, you know, to go 3 of 12 from the field, you know, we've seen games where Grant has only scored, you know, 11 points and only takes six shots. Like, he's shown a willingness to not take a lot of those shots and let the game come to him. 
And, you know, even last night, yeah, he did have seven assists, and I think he did actually pass really well. But not just Grant, but, like, you had a few where he, like, forced it. He had three pump fakes on Obi. Obi stayed right with him. Then he puts the shot up. Obi times it. He blocks it. Um, One thing I really saw early in the second half, you know, Matt Grace catches the ball, you know, just below the elbow, and he's got Jalen Crutcher on him. I know Jalen Crutcher is a much higher caliber player, obviously, than Matt Grace, but Matt's 6'9", Jalen Crutcher's 6'3". I mean, it, it doesn't matter how skilled you are. If you're six nine, you need to back him yeah, down and utilize that matchup. It's hard, hard guard size like that. Yeah, the six inch um, size disadvantage. Yeah, definitely. Like, there's another play where I think I think Tyler Burton, um, he he was one on one with Obi Toppin, and you know Tyler's obviously the most athletic and probably exciting player to watch on this team, but th- he just put his head down, drives right on Toppin, kind of goes up like he's gonna dunk it, pulls it back down, and I mean. Toppin just smacked the shit out of that ball off the backboard. You're just watching that from the beginning. You're like, as soon as Tyler put his head down, I was like, this play is not going to go well. Um, so it felt like, you know, I mean, they, they took 69 shots. So, you know, it, it didn't feel like some of the some of the decision-making um, was overwhelmingly good. Um, you know, they, they got killed in the transition game. But, you know, like you said, there, there were a lot of positives. I keep talking about all these negatives here, but it's like it's such little things. It's this thing goes right. This thing goes right. They could definitely get it, but you know, I really felt like they didn't play to their strengths in that one. Yeah, for sure. No, I agree with that. Um, so yeah, talking about the positives, mm-hmm. um, we've gone through the negatives. Um, the talk about the start of the second half. It was another slow start for Richmond, and Dayton really piled it on quick. They were up by twelve at the end of sixteen timeout. That made it tough for Richmond to come back, but we'll give them credit. They they fought and they cut the lead down. They got it down to what eight with about a minute or so to go, and then Sherrod called a timeout with no timeouts left. Yep. Gave Dayton technical and second technical on yep. them that night. Yeah, it was a technical field game. Yeah. Um, I think the resiliency was definitely huge because you know, like you said, they went down twenty um, at one point in that half. You know, there was a stretch kind of in the beginning from like you know, like about like 1730 to like 1550 where they had they went 0 from 4 from the field Jacob Giller had a turnover Obi had a dominant block on Grant kind of from there that's when it really you know they really blew the lid off and credit to them and especially Nick Sherrod you know they really stayed locked in there was a stretch when they were down 20 and Sherrod on his own scores eight points in a row an eight to two uh, Richmond to Dayton run um, I, th- I thought he was – I know Gilliard had 29 points, and Gilliard was great, but I really feel like Nick had the best game uh, for the Spiders. Yeah, no, I feel like each game I watch, I'm looking at Sherrod close, more close than I have been, and it seems like each game he's becoming more confident and just performing better and better. So he's going to be somebody to watch down the stretch for Richmond, especially as we get closer to the A-10 tournament. And if Richmond's looking at an at-large bid, he's going to have to keep um, putting in what he's doing right now. Like you said, he shot shot seven of eighteen, four of seven from three, and finished with twenty one. And yeah, he's seemingly having good night after good night. So if he can if he can stay hot with um, Francis being out, I'm liking Richard's chances going forward. And looking forward to see what he can do at VCU on Tuesday night. You know, being from Richmond, he obviously knows how this rivalry runs deep. And looking forward to that one. Mm. So are you? would you say that you're concerned at all in terms of, uh, you know, when this team hits threes or not? Because we look at a guy like Sherrod, and he's been really good lately. You know, Gilliard shot the three ball really well tonight. Um, but when you look at those guys, like Gilliard was started conference play 1 of 14 from deep. We've seen nights where, you know, Nick goes really cold from deep. And it kind of feels like not necessarily that they live and die by the three ball by any means because, they, you know, over against LaSalle and George Mason, as great as they were from the field, they weren't overwhelming. They weren't dropping threes left and right. 
Um, but it, it just feels like, you know, one of those nights where it's like if they go cold, whether it's from the field or from deep, you know, they're really in for a lot of trouble. And especially, you know, when you don't have Blake, you know, if Sherrod, you know, four of seven, seven of 18 from the field, if he goes cold, you know, they could have got blown out in this game. Yeah, no, that game, that was that would have been a very easy game to just roll over and end up losing by 35. Mm-hmm. And then that, that has a negative impact on their at-large chances. Mm-hmm. But they did a good job of fighting. Only lost by eight. Um, but, yeah, like you said, living and dying by the three, I like how you word that because they don't live and die by the three, but it does seem to have an impact on wins and losses. I mean, shot mm-hmm. 10 of 19 last night, but say they have another cold night like they did against Radford. Mm-hmm. It's going to be tough, especially if they can't have, if they can't get Grant Golden going down low. Because they're not scoring from the outside. It seemed, it's been kind of Grant Golden's kind of picked up that slack mm-hmm. down low. So they're not shooting well and Grant Golden's going cold. It's going to be could be an issue, but um, hopefully for Grant, that was just a one-game thing, and hopefully he can bounce back. Mm. Um, I'm expecting him to. He's had a great year. Yeah. So. I think another guy that had a good game was I thought Nate K.O. played really well, and, you know, we actually we talked a little bit about it off-air, but Nate actually missed morning practice and shoot-around. He was flying home from a, a funeral in Boston, and to basically not really warm up and to come in, he had uh, 15.6 rebounds. He had four offensive rebounds, but five of five – from the free throw line I mean this guy has just absolutely turned it around from the free throw line and I think that you know we, we've talked about it this year but that's been super crucial because you go back to that VC, at VCU game last year and that was a game where they lost by double digits it never felt close at any point but Richmond was below 50% from the free throw line in that game and they took over 22 attempts in that game and that's why I think Nate in particular Nate took over he had double digit free throw attempts I don't remember what the number was but I remember going back and looking at it, and if you take Nate's free throw, he was below 60% from the free throw line last year. Now he's we just looked, he's almost 80%. And for a guy like that who plays in the interior, I mean, that's so huge for them. We saw in a game last night where you need to score the clock off. Um, I mean, this team's free throw shooting, if we want to talk about positives from a loss, I mean, 15 of 20, they've just been phenomenal this year. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, 15 of 20 was great, but one thing that did hurt Richmond last night, I think, was they didn't convert the front end on two one-on-ones. Mm-hmm. It was a Golden Gilliard, and that right there, I mean, that could be a four-point difference. Yeah. When you get down two minutes, a minute left, that can completely change how you play the game and your game plan. So hitting the front end on one-on-ones would have been really beneficial. But, yeah, 15 and 20 from the line, you can't be too displeased with that. So, overall, I was very content with the free-throw shooting. Yeah, I think you hit that on the head in terms of that the free throw shooting was good, but they missed some of those one and ones and it kind of felt like one of those games where like, yeah, obviously the field goal percentage wasn't great, but you, like you said at the beginning, you look at the stat sheet, and if you look at this objectively and you didn't even watch the game, you're like, this was a pretty competitive game, Richmond played pretty well, um, but there were just a lot of like untimely moments, and I think that Richmond had very timely moments in the first half, and then the second half they really didn't, like there was a stretch where... Uh, it was down at the end of the game. I want to say it was like 3.30 left, something like that. But Richmond was down by 8. They had been down 20 and a half. And Jalen Crutcher hits a 3. All right, now it's 11 points. So it, you're on the verge. It's like it was 8 points. You could have made it even closer. Okay, now he hits the 3, right? Gilly uses the pick and roll with Grant. Takes the screen. Jalen Crutcher and Obi both converge on him. He pits Grant. Grant's rolling to the hoop. And Grant just misses that layup. It almost felt like the other night when Gordon Hayward missed that like wide-open alley-oop in overtime the, that could have tied – or. Put, put the Celtics within two. I think it was against the Suns. It's just one of those plays where it's like, yeah, Grant's not having a great game, but like that's just such an untimely play. You miss that open layup. Okay, so you're still down 11, and then down the other end, Trey Landers gets a basket, and now you're 13 with under three minutes left. That's a huge five-point swing, being down 13 versus eight, and then they still were able to get it back down to six. 
that five point swing doesn't happen, they can cut that to yeah, a two point no, game. Definitely. Yeah, once uh, once Dayton went up by thirteen, that's when I noticed a lot of a lot of fans starting to get up and file towards the exit. Um, but no, yeah, I mean it was a game of runs, mm-hmm. and Dayton just seemed to have one more run in them. Mm-hmm. That was the that was the difference. But yeah, if you limit some of the things that haven't normally happened for Richmond this year, I really do believe they could have won that game, and I would love to see them get another shot at Dayton with a healthy Blake Francis. Mm-hmm. So how do you think they use this one to roll into the Seagull Center on Tuesday? I think they're going to – this is a confidence booster. Yeah, you lost, but, I mean, you all only lost by eight. BC lost by, what, 13, 14 to Dayton. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that right there, that can show you something. I don't know if they're looking into that too much. But hostile – I mean, not a hot, they're going into a hostile environment. Um, should be loud again, so hopefully they're prepared and conditioned for playing in a loud atmosphere, such as the Eagle Center. This time it'll be against them, but uh, mm-hmm. hopefully they'll use it. It'll be a big one. Um, I'm just hoping we can win by a big margin. This is a game where both teams are 15 and five and mm-hmm. tied in the conference. And looking at the conference standings, it's this is a big one, mm-hmm. especially with how. ECU and Richmond's schedules um, kind of fair towards the end of the year. Richmond's is pretty favorable, I'd say. Yeah. And BC still has Dayton again. They've got to play, I think, Slew. So it's a huge one Tuesday night, and I'm looking forward to it. So I think they'll build off of this Dayton loss. It was a close game. Mm-hmm. It really did. Didn't shoot well and almost lost, and only lost by eight. So yeah. I think they can use this as a good thing. I think this two-game stretch here is somewhat comparable to Dayton's two losses against Purdue and Tennessee. In both of those losses, they were, I think, single-possession games. Tennessee was overtime. Those were two really close games where you look at those and you can't hurt Dayton's resume because those were just two great games where they just barely lost it. But at the same time, it still did – or, excuse me, VCU, excuse me, not Dayton, VCU, where, you know, VCU did – they're not bad losses for VCU. But still, at the end of the day, when you look at it objectively and you go to the quadrant system, they're still losses, and it dropped them out of the rankings, even though it didn't feel like they played that bad. I think you can compare that to this two-game stretch for Richmond where – okay, you have a really close loss to Dayton. It's not really going to hurt them. But if you win this game, if you win at VCU, you then have a cakewalk between this win and the next VCU game. So you go at VCU on Tuesday, and then what is it? You go to Um, what's the next game? George Washington. Yeah, so versus George Washington at Fordham. And that's a week off in between. So you have a week off, then you go to Fordham, and then you go to LaSalle, and then it's VCU at home again. So if you win this game at VCU – you're gonna have a, a really you're gonna have a cakewalk until the next game. That's a good chance. That's a five-game win stretch with potentially two wins against VCU. So if you win this game, you get potentially a five-game win streak. And then the rest of the way, like you said, they have a really easy schedule down the stretch. Home against George Mason's a very winnable game. At Bonaventure, at George Washington, two winnable games. Home UMass, home Davidson at Duquesne. And we just saw Duquesne lose to UMass, so they're looking pretty vulnerable. Yeah. So I think this game on Tuesday, it's one of those games where if you win it. Like, you're in really good shape to potentially only be a 3-4 loss team in conference, maybe even a 2 loss team. And if you lose this game, it doesn't kill you, just like the two losses didn't kill VCU, but it's like what could have been, you know? No, for sure, yeah. Because I'm looking at VCU's schedule, play them on Tuesday, then they, they go to Rhode Island, home against Davidson, and home against George Mason. So, obviously, Richmond has the more favorable schedule leading into the second game. But after VCU comes to the Robin Center, they have Dayton at home and then at St. Louis. So two more tough games for them. So, yeah, winning Tuesday night, crucial for Richmond, and really gives them a good shot to bury VCU the second time they play 
Allen Robinson. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel like uh, like where they sit among the top of the A10? I think it's we can all agree chalk up Dayton number one. I think it's pretty much locked. But when you look at it, for those like the the rest of the the top five between Richmond, VCU, URI, and SLU, you've got SLU owns head to head over Richmond. Richmond owns head to head over URI. URI owns head to head over VCU. So another reason this game is really crucial for VCU to get that uh, head to head over Richmond. But it, it, it's a dogfight for those last oh, top yeah. five spots, and I legitimately feel like all four of those teams could potentially, whether it's a bid thief, potentially get an at-large bid. All of them could finish anywhere in that top five. No, easily. It makes me really glad that we played Rhode Island early because mm-hmm. they're, they're looking scary as of late. But, yeah, like you said, it's going to be a dogfight. Um, yeah, Dayton, I've got us, yeah, we've got them as a lock. I don't see them losing a conference game, honestly. But, um Duquesne's a team we just, you just touched on, just lost to UMass. So they're they're beatable. Don't really know where they could end up. Um, like Wayne hinted at, talking about how their um, strength of uh, schedule and non-conference could come back to hurt them, and they're starting to see more talented rosters, and it's showing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're hanging in there 15-4, but I can see them dropping, and I can definitely see St. Louis find a way to climb back up. So, yeah, it's going to be fun down the stretch to see – who gets those double buys in Brooklyn? Because I think that's going to be huge for the Richmonds and the VCUs for a chance at that large bid. Mm-hmm. Um, getting a double buy and then winning a game and playing on Sunday in the championship could go far for any of these teams. Mm-hmm. And if Dayton ends up losing in Brooklyn early, that could open it up for somebody else to sneak into the tournament. So I'm looking forward. It's going to be really fun down the stretch to see how it all plays out. Yeah, definitely. I think I think this league is on the verge of being a, a two-bid league, and I think they're equally as close to being a four-bid league. I think it's really, really tight right now, and I think that you know we could potentially see a war of attrition where the top, you know, those top four teams, excluding Dayton, just kind of beat each other up, and you know only one gets an at-large bid, or maybe you get the bid thief, and it's a two-bid league. So I think it's going to be really exciting down the stretch. Um, so that's it for me. Anything else you want to close out with? This is fun. Um, open for more of these in the future, and go Spiders. Definitely. Uh, so thank you guys for listening. We got an uh, interview with Wayne Epps Jr. from the Richmond Times-Dispatch. He's a VCU Athletics beat writer. So that interview is coming up right after this. Uh, we got to preview uh, Richmond heads over to the Siegel Center on Tuesday. Uh, that's going to tip off at 7 p.m. So quick turnaround from their biggest game of the year to probably their next biggest game of the year. Uh, so go ahead and uh, stay on for that interview, and uh, we'll see you all next week. All right, what's up, guys? We got Wayne Epps here. He is the VCU Athletics beat writer for the Richmond Times-Dispatch. Wayne, how are we doing? Hey, doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. So uh, we've got a big game coming up Tuesday in the Siegel Center. Richmond's going across town uh, facing VCU. Um, so it, I think it's an interesting matchup this year between the two teams. You know, VCU was picked to win the league this year. Uh, most people, you know, had Richmond projected to improve around six, but... You know, I don't think anyone really saw them as a potential, you know, two-seed threat in this conference. Um, so, you know, VCU comes into the year preseason 25, you know, gets an early win against LSU and Will Wade. Um, but then then they have a couple of really close losses to Purdue, Purdue and Tennessee, you know, open up conference play. They get that early loss to URI. And, you know, now they're really legitimately, you know, on the bubble. So, like, what do you think have been the biggest differences from last year's team to this year's team and why they've kind of slightly fallen short of expectations? Um, well, I think um, 
which you saw we saw a little bit last year too, but it kind of cleaned it up the second half of the season. But I think some uh, offensive inconsistency at, at times is, is hurt. Um, you know, they struggle with uh, turnovers at, at certain times. They've been better with it um, their most recent stretch. But uh, for instance, against Purdue, uh, they had uh, 21 turnovers, and then uh, you know. And they served, that was the first of back-to-back losses uh, in Emerald Hook Classic down in Florida, which would have been you know, huge losses or huge wins, I mean, uh, for their resume. Um, you know, kind of pushed them on the right side of that, that, that bubble for sure. Um, which is just an inconsistency. I think particularly what the big thing heading into this year was, uh, you know, VC having five seniors you know, being very experienced. So that, that was going to kind of carry them a little bit. Um, but so far, the, you know, the experience hasn't really perhaps panned out as, as people expected. Um but uh, they're, they're playing a little bit cleaner, uh, you know, these last three games coming off back-to-back losses to Royal and Date. Um, you know, being St. Biometry and St. Joe's and LaSalle, um, playing a little bit better um, offensively in this recent stretch. So uh, it looks like a little bit, little bit better. Um, they had suffered the two um, losses in, in January last season, amazing play before they went on the 12-man win streak. So, so, you know, they had the two early losses this year, too, and now they're playing, playing better. So who knows how, how it's going to shake out. You know, like you said, they're, uh, because of some of the bad losses, they're, uh, you know, on the bubble instead of, instead of uh, firmly in like the books that they would be at this point. Mm-hmm. So you talked about the inconsistency, you know, not taking care of the ball sometimes, but I, th- I think the three-point shooting, you know, no one expected VCU to, you know, be be raining threes, but I, I think Deontay Jenkins has been somewhat underwhelming from deep. Marcus Evans has struggled offensively. Um, what do you think those issues have been from the perimeter? Yeah, so I think, um, well, Marcus Evans, he's uh, had a little bit of up and down year, just struggled with, with turnovers, and uh, I, I think... Um, you know, perhaps a little bit of it. Sometimes, still, you know, finding that that, that right role. Like when he was at Rice, he was, uh, you know, the dominant scorer. I uh, scored thirteen, fifteen points in two years at, at Rice before he transferred to um, VCU. And now at VCU, uh, there's so many scorers around him that his job is more to be that distributing point guard instead of the, the go-to scoring point guard. And um, I think sometimes, you know, maybe still struggle with we're trying to figure out that right balance. Uh, maybe that's sometimes leads to some of those those turnovers. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, definitely, definitely expected more. Like, obviously, you know, Marcus Evans was uh, preseason first team uh, All Conference, and um, you know, it was, was a kind of expected uh, A10 Player of the Year candidate. Um, and uh, it hasn't quite uh, gone that way so far this year. He struggled with being a little bit banged up too. Uh, he had a missed a, a game with concussion a couple couple games ago uh, to St. Bonaventure, and um, you know, came back and played at, at St. Joe's on Tuesday, but left that game early after he hit, hit the back of his head, the back of his neck on a, on a um, the floor hard on, on a blocking foul, uh, so he's, he's kind of battling a lot of different things this year. Uh, he he um, didn't get the start at George Mason a couple weeks ago uh, for a disciplinary issue, but was a hot start instead. So just kind of a little bit of a you know up and down year throughout for him. Um, so you know we'll see if, if he and also Deontay will be able to get a little bit more on track uh, down the back stretch here. Mm-hmm. So you talked about Bones. Uh, you know, you and I got to chat a little bit on Wednesday when you uh, filled in for the famous John O'Connor actually against uh, at the LaSalle game. Um, so, so Bones has been, I think he's led the A-10 in three-point percentage during conference play. Uh, you know, four-star recruit freshman. What have you seen from him? Yeah, the, the, the word that, that no one worried about Bones is just confidence. Like, um, you know, point guard is, is a hard position to play coming straight out of high school. It's probably just like, you know, you know, being a quarterback in football, it's hard to play as a freshman in college. It's hard to play point guard uh, as a freshman in college, too. Um, but he's, he's been, um, you know, he's played that, that role confidently. He, he never seems rattled. Uh, he just does his thing, and, 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 it, and it works well. And he has uh, crazy range, like you said, to mention the three-point um, three uh, success. Uh, he had three last, yesterday against, uh, this past Saturday against uh, LaSalle, including a big one uh, when LaSalle cut it to three, uh, made the game 
Um, he had five uh, against uh, St. Bonaventure. So, you know, he's, he's just, you know, he, he looks like an upperclassman out there when he's playing. Um, and, uh, you know, he just, again, never seems rattled and uh, just kind of breaks a good spirit, which is something that my brother just talked about a lot. He just has a good spirit about him uh, where he just he never gets shaken. And uh, that's, that's been the biggest thing I've seen from him this, him this year. Mm. So there's been a lot of chatter about, you know, people calling saying, like, you got to force Bones into the starting lineup. But I think, you know, one thing, you know, we've spoken a little bit about is that, you know, who, do, who does he take out in the starting lineup? You know, is it Marcus Evans? But like like you said, Marcus Evans has that relationship with Coach Rhodes going back to Rice. So, you know, do you see them sharing the floor together? Do you, you know, maybe just keep him in kind of the Ibby Watson role where he's just this great score as a six-man off the bench? Right, yeah. I think he's going to continue to come off the bench. Um, they have, uh, like you said, you know, experimented with playing um, Bones at the point and Marcus Evans at the two. And I think that kind of opens up Marcus Evans to uh, just be that scorer again a little bit like he was at Rice. It's, it's a combination they haven't done a, a, a ton uh, because uh, it's a little bit of a smaller lineup, um, perhaps opening up to some defensive liabilities because their starting two guard is DeAndre Jenkins, and he's 6'5", and Marcus Evans is you know, listed at 6'2". Um, so you lose some size there at the two-guard spot when you put Marcus there. Um, but it's something, it's something they've tried, I think, to kind of maybe – help Marcus Evans get going a little little bit more offensively, kind of take that burden of being a distributor away. Uh, and, and as another shooter on the floor, too, um, you know, when you have him and Bone together, they kind of, you know, you're able to space the floor a little, a little bit more, too. So they've, they've tried it, um, but I, I, I can't I can't really foresee them, um, you know, saying they're just going to um, start Bones and, and uh, bring Marcus off the bench, uh, even though, as you said, some people have been asking about that and, and uh, wondering if that's something that, that might be coming down the pipe just because Bones has played so well. Uh, but again, just Marcus is bringing that experience. Uh, he's also one, one thing I guess I think sometimes kind of overshadowed uh, because he's kind of struggled a little bit on the offensive end is he's defended really, really well. He's a lockdown defender on the ball, um, and so at the top of the press, uh, you know, on a consistent basis. Um, so just, you know, I don't think my brothers want to go away from that experience um, on the floor, even though Marcus Evans hasn't had the, maybe the type of offensive output that people expected so far this year. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because, you know, even even with Bones, you know, scoring the ball so well and maybe some Marcus Evans struggles is one thing we've certainly seen in college basketball is that often experience beats talent. I mean, you have, you know, Duke got knocked out a lot earlier than people thought last year. You know, Virginia goes and wins. And, you know, I think that experience, you know, even if they struggle throughout conference play, that's going to make a big difference, you know, going into the A-10 tournament. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, and so these guys have been there, done that now. Um, you know, one of Mark Evans' uh, biggest things when he went to transfer to VCU was just being able to get to the inspect tournament when he got there last year. Albeit, he was a little bit hobbled um, after he had the bone bruise in the 18 tournament, but still, he has 18 play on, under, under his, or I mean, 18 tournament play and into that tournament play under his belt now in Bones. Even though he's played so well, it hasn't yet. Just some, some of those big moments, um, you know, you want that senior leadership. And uh, you mentioned that too. I think another, another portion of that is, uh, uh, just the relationship that he and Mike Rose have, um, you know, they built that relationship going back to when um, Mark Seven was a young high schooler and Mike Rose was an assistant at ECU. And then when Mike Rose was hired at Rice, uh, he offered Marcus Evans, and Marcus kind of uh, followed him down out to Texas, along with Ramon. So that they, they've been through a lot together, going from both shifting to Rice and then both shifting back to ECU. So I just think that that bond they have, uh, you know, I think mean, that's an added element to a reason why um, you, you wouldn't see. Uh, you see go away from too much. Mm. So kind of kind of transitioning now to Tuesday's matchup, you know, how, how do you see the the flow of this game playing out? Because I think that VCU and Richmond are obviously two of the top teams in the A10, but pretty much polar opposites in play style. Right, yeah. Well, I mean, VCU obviously 
you know, every game they want to get that, that pace up. And like I said, you know, obviously Richmond is a little bit more deliberate pace. Uh, but I can, I can see it being a little bit more of a back-and-forth game, even though that's not uh, necessarily Richmond's um, style, just because uh, both teams are shooting the ball well. And I think that could come down to be the, be the difference uh, in, in this game. Uh, it's just who can, who can uh, get the highest from three, who can have some, the most success from deep. Again, uh, mentioning how, how well um, BC shot against uh, LaSalle, was 10 or 21. I know Richmond shot the ball efficiently and pretty well, hit 10 threes against Dayton, too. So um, they're, they're both in a pretty good spot right now, shooting the ball. Uh, so I think that could end up being a difference. Um, and it could be a little bit more of an up-and-down game, which BC will try to make it, especially at home. Uh, but I think uh, Richmond, if they can hit shots, can, uh, can uh, keep up with BC in that aspect. Mm. So what would you say is a key matchup that you're looking for in this game? Um, I, I think uh, uh, um, seeing how, uh, you know, if, if, when Bones, well, I think, Mar- obviously, first off, Marcus and, and Jacob Gilliard, uh, obviously Gilliard's speed, and again, talking about Marcus has been a little bit banged up a little bit, uh, just how, how Marcus, or how Jacob was able to kind of get at Marcus and maybe try to force him into some turnovers, um, and, and uh, kind of limit the shot attempts BC is able to get, uh, you know, and the quality of shot attempts BC is able to get. I think that'll be the, the biggest thing. But I'll also be curious to see, uh, you know, how often Jacob goes against uh, Bones. I think that'll be a good matchup. Just again, um, Bones going against another one of the top upper class point guards in the league. Uh, just talking about the poise he's shown so far, um, you know, and how good Jacob is defensively. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how Bones handles that. Um, so I think those those two matchups, the, just the point guard matchups, will be the ones I'll be, I'll be watching the most. Mm-hmm. What are you looking at, Austin, in this one? Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Gilliard and Jenkins. They both have an eye for the ball. I was just looking. Jenkins is averaging right around two steals, I think, right now is what I'm seeing. Um, so it's going to be cool to see them go down with senior guard and Jenkins. So it's going to be – I can see this being a three-point shooting contest and see who shoots the ball better, or it could be a battle down low between Silva and Golden. So either way, it's going to be a tough game for – coaches the game plan for because it can swing either way so that's what i'm most looking forward to on yeah night. yeah i think I, I think one thing i'm also looking at is the the bones andre gustavson matchup so like you said like bones is, bones is probably the most dynamic and unique score that vcu has on that team and andre you know if, uh, as great as gilly is defensively andre's got the length he's the one who's going to match up against them so i think that you know last night against uh, dayton andre looked you know kind of shaky in in that first half especially with the ball seemed like he had the jitters he had a few turnovers there and you know that's a crazy environment but that's also a favorable environment you know he's playing in the robin center um to to see him go in you know he's gonna be their defensive stopper with his size like they're gonna match him up on the best score um and to, to see him go into you know last year they got trampled in the seagull center so I, i'm really looking to see how he does against bones um in a hostile environment like that um so so to continue going um would you call this a must-win game for vcu because you know right now richmond has the head-to-head on uri vcu doesn't those you know those two teams three teams are kind of competing for those uh you know two three four seeds um so you know if, if richmond wins this game you know they have a good you know fairly good chance to win the next one in the robin center you know it could be really tough for vcu to grab a, a top two seed in the conference yeah yeah i would like i said um talk about how how you know it's a uh, top four beyond possibly date on the rest of that uh, top four uh, is going to be really a, a toss-up right now because all these teams are so close. Um, so, again, uh, you know, VC is, is kind of, you know, sitting on the edge of that, that top four right now. Um, so, uh, you know, every team wants to double by. Uh, and, the, you know, Richmond's able to get, uh, kind of get the upper hand and get the the, uh, the, the, win, the head-to-head win, and, uh, you know, if they come down to a tiebreaker, that's pretty big. So I would call it a, a must-win, especially at home. 
Um, and then, you know, if you see, if they're, you know, has, has to go to the Rogers Center, and if they, they lose that, that's, that's a, uh, you know, a big, a big loss, which happened, obviously, uh, you know, Rose's first year two years ago. Mm-hmm. So, well, you, you know, still, still fairly early. I wouldn't call it a must win because um, VCU, uh, with an hour loss, kind of puts, puts that top four in peril mm-hmm. uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, so how do you, how do you see you know speaking of these teams you know around those top seeds how do you see the top five shaking out you know obviously I think most people would pick Dayton one and you know going into the year is kind of you know v, everyone was saying you know VC is going to be number one VCU is going to be number two but I really think those you know that five through two seed is really a big toss up right now you've got Slews in the mix they've got head to head over Richmond you know URI's got head to head over VCU but Richmond has it over URI you know there's a lot of toss up right now yeah yeah. Um... Uh, I think um, actually, I was with Dayton. I think at this at this point, I was like they're they're kind of running away with it, or at least trying to. Um, uh, but as far as the rest, uh, like I said, we're on is putting themselves in a pretty good spot um, to, to get get on top four. Um, I think uh, you know Duquesne. Duquesne is kind of kind of kind of intriguing because uh, obviously you know, their record uh, coming into the conference play was was, was uh, you know, really 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 strong. Um, but it, you know, maybe the um, you know, the strength of the schedule wasn't as, as tough, and now they're, they're down to the five and two on conference too. Uh, so we're interested to see how they, they kind of shake out, but they'll definitely be in the mix. Um, and then uh, if the bottom two could come down to the Richmond and VCU, you know, who, who's able to, uh, like I said, that's why these head to head matchups are going to be so good because uh, it could, whoever uh, loses could be, you know, you know not just by sitting on, on the outside end or getting that double buy. So right now, um, I'll say Dayton one, uh, Norrell two. Um, and uh, I'll go to Richmond and VCU to close out the top four. It's going to be double by. Uh, mm-hmm. But like I said, it's going to be a toss out. It's going to be commission. You got you know the two two teams at five and two, that uh, uh, or actually three at five and two, a couple of four and three. Um, so between you know those top what six seven uh, teams is going to be a dogfight with those top four besides Dayton. So commission. Yeah, definitely. I think especially in the A ten tournament because you know if, if Dayton really rolls into into Brooklyn, you know, with a with undefeated or maybe one loss, um, you know, they're really going to have that at large locked up. You know, I'm sure they'd like to run run the conference tournament. You know, potentially get a two seed, but you know, realistically, you, you've got to play it smart. And I could absolutely see them if they've really secured you know a top three seed in the tournament. And March Madness, just you know, if resting Obi if he's not 100, percent you know, maybe playing guys like Jalen Crutcher 25 minutes, pulling him early, and I could definitely see them you know losing. Uh, you know, in the quarterfinals, semifinals, because they don't really need that win. And, you know, that's going to be a battle for potential, whether it's a true bid thief, whether it's a two or three seed. But I th- there's going to be some March Madness early and even before the actual tournament. Yeah, I saying That's the one thing that's happened in the last couple of years in the conference where you know, the top seed at the end has lost. And that's actually kind of, I guess, in a way, helped the conference um, mm-hmm. because, you know, those top teams that had already had those that, that, that large bids locked up when they lost. Uh, and obviously, you know, another team went on to win. Uh, the tournament they got an extra uh, HN team and the conference with St. Louis last year. DC was in that spot that Dayton has looked like it was heading towards this year, where um, they had kind of run away at the conference by 16 2 and uh, raised some big play. Had the had large bid, firmly secure, and they lost in the quarterfinals or uh, and, um, and kind of opened the door for uh, St. Louis to, to win and get, get that bid, too. So, um, yeah, that, that could definitely be a possibility. There's always, you know, always be some wackiness in the A-10 tournament like that uh, where the you know, top team like that goes down. Um, and again, sometimes it ends up actually kind of helping the conference in a way that you get the extra team in. That was, that was, that's one thing that's been interesting about the conference this year is that uh, in non-conference play, uh, you know, so many teams had you know winning records and um, double-digit win records and were doing so well. There's a lot of talk about, okay, okay the A-10 is kind of back. Uh, you know, could be back to three or four um, bids. Yeah, I think so, Seth Greenberg picked um, four bids. 
Yeah, um, but now you're saying you know some of these top teams are kind of beating up on each other, um, and so uh, you know you might you might you might you know you could realistically end up with just two bids or maybe three bids at the most, uh, like as like as a norm. So, um, but you know Dayton losing early uh, could open the door for more. So, uh, so it'll be interesting to see how many uh, get. I think the last um, bracket I saw from Lunardi was had two Dayton and, and Duquesne. Um, um, so I think that could be, end up being realistic, just getting two and whoever, you know, maybe if they lose, whoever wins the A-10 tournament or just somebody else is able to um, do enough, um, you know, take, it, or take down Dayton and get another quality win and get that get out of grade themselves. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess, I guess to kind of to wrap it up, um, hey, you know, how special do you think it is to, you know, it almost feels like there's a little bit of a reignited rivalry now, you know, cross town. You know, last year, I mean, you know, Richmond did almost come back in the home game, but really, you know, VCU was – you know, far and away the the superior team last year. And, you know, I think now a lot a lot of people are you know some people are picking BCU ahead of them, some are Richmond, but it's pretty back and forth. So you know, what do you what do you think it means to have that crosstown you know rivalry reignited and have that really be a true competition this year? Uh, I think it's huge. It's huge. Uh, it's what you know. It's good. How's it good for a city? Uh, like I said, we're trying to be better better this year. And uh, VCU uh, trying to you know kind of. Uh, I guess get back to where people expected they would be this year. Uh, it puts a lot of weight on these matchups, and again, like we were just talking about, it puts there's a lot of weight on trying to get a, that double buy too. Because like I said, these one loss, these two matchups could uh, decide which team is just on the outside. So it's, it's great. Um, and these two teams are you know have a lot of similarities. Something um, uh, John Connor and I are looking at for you know a story for Tuesday's paper, just the, sort of the similarities between these two teams as far as you have some standout freshmen with Bones and Tyler Burden and uh, standout big men and, and Grant and Marcus Santo Silva. Uh, even the records are identical at 15 and five and five and two. So um, and you know have a, you know strong man to man defenses this year with, with Richmond switching to, to the man to man this year. So uh, should be a fun matchup. Uh, it's, it's fun that the teams are both good right now. And, Fun that they're so similar. Um, so uh, it should be a you know in, even even in the years where, where uh, one team seems better, it seems like you can't always throw those things out the window. But with things being so close this year, uh, it should make for a really really fun uh, fun matchup. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great t- contest, and I think you know I think we're going to find out pretty early in the game how the game's going to go. I think it's going to turn into a shootout or a defensive battle pretty quick. Um, you know, I think which, whichever team's able to you know control the game and play their style of basketball is going to dictate it. But, you know, like, like you said, it's going to be a great matchup. Uh, it should be a great environment and uh, going to be a fun time on Tuesday. Definitely, 100%. Yeah, well, I think that's it for me. Anything else from you, Austin? I'm really looking forward to Tuesday, Wayne. Definitely. Appreciate you coming on, man. We'll uh, see you out there in the Siegel Center. Definitely. It's great talking with you guys. Appreciate you having Absolutely. Have a good one, man. On my wrist going nuts. Niggas caught me slipping once. Okay, so what? Someone hit your block up. I tell you if it was us. Man, a house in Rosewood, this shit too plush. It's cool, man. Got red bottoms on. His life is good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, $100,000 for the cheapest ring on the nigga finger, little bitch. Ooh. I done flew one out to Spain to be in my domain, all the model bitch. Ooh. Dropped $3 on the ring, call it been the truck, little bitch. Ooh. I was in the trap, serving cocaine, they ain't been the same since. Ooh. Granted, she was standing right there while I catch a play on the brick. Ooh. I made them little niggas go hey while I tell the in this bitch. Ooh. I done been down bad in them trenches, had to ride with that stick. Ooh. Who gave you pills? Who gave that dust? Pluto Central and Lick. Ooh. Too many convicts. They enroll me to play in this shit. Ooh, round about nonsense, get old, so I'm spreading this bitch. Ooh, they had the counter light lighting it up, nigga, hand it back to get it. Ooh, I'm on a PJ lighting it up, backwood full of sticky. Ooh, I'm trying to tote that Drake or London, and it's extended. Ooh, they got a stretcher, nigga, how we gon' die for this shit? Ooh, 
Yeah, I ride for my niggas, I lie to my bitch. Ooh, we some poor, high class niggas, made it, we rich. Yeah, I was at the band, though, got a penthouse for a closet. Ooh, it's like a shando, lit on my neck, my wrist. Ooh, I got pink toes that talk different languages. Ooh, got promethazine in my blood and percocet. Yeah, hundred thousand for the cheapest ring on the nigga finger, little bitch. Ooh, I done flew one out to Spain to be in my domain, all the model bitch. Ooh, dropped three dollars on the rain, called it the truck, little bitch. Ooh, I was in the trap, serving cocaine, they ain't been the same since That's by the time I call him Savini I go tremendo for new fettuccine All fat though, carrot the pinky All fat though, we order the Fiji I'm in the loop with the voo, I'm in the loop with the woo Which one you working? I put your face to the news I put the puss on the shirt After I murk it, make go shoot up the hearse Cost me a quarter bird, nigga it's birthday And you a maniac, a fucking alien How you spurgin', got that kitty cat I'm having fun with that, going Birkin Hundred thousand for the cheapest ring on the nigga finger, little bitch. Ooh. I done flew one out to Spain to be in my domain and all the model bitch. Ooh. Dropped three dollars on the ring, called it been the truck, little bitch. Ooh. I was in the trap serving cocaine, they ain't been the same since. Hundred thousand for the cheapest ring on the nigga finger, little bitch. Hundred thousand on the cheapest ring on the nigga finger, little bitch. Yeah. Hundred thousand for the cheapest ring on the nigga finger, little bitch. Hundred thousand for the cheapest ring on the nigga. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.